Hello, and welcome to another episode of Enter the Labyrinth. So today we're going to do another clip episode um, where you know I kind of use these clips as for those kind of newer clips to open up a discussion, a broad range discussion, also clips I found interesting um, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I've, I've also, that's something I've noticed in my metrics, I, I have a broad pretty broad range of audience it's very it's very balanced between men and women um and i think that that has to do with because i cover a lot of like spiritual stuff and some philosophical stuff so i kind of have a good mix i'm also just i i have content on various platforms and i think i attract certain bases based on the platform i do really enjoy that but i also try to keep that in mind when i make the content as well um try to keep everyone happy with with episodes and what i put out but also those that know me, uh, so just cover stuff that I find interesting because I try to treat a lot of the stuff I create to stay with it, you know, stay stay with being myself essentially and being authentic, the authentic self, whatever the fuck that means. Um, I try to to cover stuff that I'm fascinated by because I kind of treat a lot of this stuff as my journal and exploration and, and just things I enjoy learning. And then if I can help people learn along the way, then that's just a bonus. Um, also I do love doing this and would like to spend more time on it and do it for a living and stuff. So if you'd like to support me in more tangible ways before we dive in. Um, so I have the, I have fixed the Patreon. It's now the Patreon is now going to have the bonus episode feed as well. The audio feed, including Apple podcasts also has the audio feed. Um, if you like my writing stuff, Substack is where to go. I have a bunch of, you know, like free preview posts and free posts and diving deeper and stuff and kind of trying to do my artistic style, also my dream analysis and that stuff. You can go there for that. And there's also an exclusive newsletter for $5 a month or 50 bucks a year. It's just ways to support me and, and the stuff behind the paywall. I don't like putting stuff behind paywall, but, you know, I want to do this. I don't want to spend more time on this. So I need to find a way in this system to pay my rent. <laughs> and the stuff I put on the paywall, I try to be mindful of it. It's more just stuff I either find more experimental or personal to me. Um, and that's just kind of just like a more personal side of my journal and, and, and insights and stuff that I find interesting that I put out there. And maybe I'm not ready to be as public, but I kind of use that barrier of entry to kind of, I don't know, create some sense of trust. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, you can support me that way. Otherwise you can rate me on Apple Podcasts and, and Spotify or follow me on social media. All those links will be below. Um, but yeah, let's dive into what we're going to cover today. So based on the title, you can see we're going to do some Slavoj Žižek and Jordan Peterson kind of opening a discussion on the self um, and the self-help industry and you know how the world kind of affects itself. I kind of wanted it to be a discussion around that. Like I said, it's another one of those episodes where I didn't plan a bunch of stuff. I just had the clips and a couple notes and then kind of see where my thoughts go because the podcast is now kind of like my experimental thing, trying to do a Lacanian sense of exploring where my mind goes and pulls from and based on the stuff I read and that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, so for those that don't know, Slavo Žižek, he is a philosopher. You know, he's kind of known as quite the character. I really enjoy listening to him. Um, he, he can be kind of a troll at times, which I, uh, that's kind of why I like him too. But yeah, philosopher, social commentator. If you haven't heard him speak, I have some, I have like a clip. He's not in a bunch of clips, but I'm going to probably be covering him more in the future as well and have more clips from him. So something you might need to get used to, but I have some clips. He has kind of this strong accent, so be prepared, but I find him to be very, 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 very insightful. Um, and just an enjoyable speaker. 
Uh, so I kind of wanted to bring him in. And, and it's it was the debate between Jordan Peterson and Zizek that I'm doing some stuff on. Um, the two debated a few years ago. I thought it was a fascinating discussion. But um, yeah, and Zizek, he's also like a Lacanian, which I've been super into. I've been really into Lacan, Zizek, Deleuze, and Gutierrez lately. Um, so yeah, so we're going to do some of that. For one, though, I do want to say this. I've never seen J- Jordan Peterson seemingly show so much respect for an opponent as in this debate. And I'm not saying Jordan Peterson doesn't show respect to people when he has discussions with them. I think he does actually quite often, even though Jordan Peterson has a rough reputation. I think some people critique him for the wrong things. I try to critique him for the right things, what I think are the right things. So, but yeah, I picked Jordan Peterson to commentate on because He's a public intellectual. Um, people I talk to about this stuff, I hear the Jordan Peterson lines and Jordan Peterson talking points all the time. So I like to learn what Jordan Peterson has to say and see where I agree with him on so I can give him credit where credit is due when I encounter his uh, followers in a sense, but also try to find some points to address some of the things he said. That got, you know, because he garners a lot of attention. And you can agree or disagree with why he has that attention, but it's just it's just the case. So some of the things he says needs addressing, though, and I try to do a good job of that and and give him credit where credit is due, where I agree with him. Um, and I, and I try to do that in every clip or every episode I cover of him when I write about him, all that stuff, right? But also. To be honest, I know it grabs people's attention when I cover Jordan Peterson, and I think some of these clips can be good segues still into further discussions and embracing some nuance because, like I said, he's a public intellectual. He's one of the most popular intellectuals right now. Um, So his thoughts and his ideas are spreading throughout the world. So people can say he's a waste of time, but... If you think he's wrong on stuff, I think it's important to listen to what he has to say so you can talk to the people that are followers of him. And that's and that's my uh, method of thinking about this, too. So the Zizek and Jordan Peterson debate from a few years ago, like I said, was fascinating, partially because both of these guys are often defined by their enemies. Um, Zizek is definitely more on the left, and he has a lot of en- enemies there. Um, he has people that don't really understand him on the right. And I think the same is for cases for Jordan Peterson. Many critiques of Jordan Peterson are from people that you can tell haven't listened to, to Jordan. And I disagree with Jordan on a lot, but I've also consumed a fuck ton of his stuff because I want to understand him because he is the public face of intellectual or like not intellectuals, um, but like the public face of the, I don't even want to say alt because that has a loaded term. The... He's attracted the interest of non-academics, and I think that's why it needs to be analyzed, you know. So, and Zizek, people hear that, hear him about him, people that do know him or don't know a lot about him, they hear that he's a Marxist and they see him kind of embracing communist imagery in some interviews and some of the stuff. But Zizek admits to kind of being essentially a troll. He's a troll on the symbolic and no, those that know he's Lacanian, I, that's the way I see it. I don't know if he's ever commentated on that. I, don't, I haven't listened to him, I guess, enough or read him enough. But I, I see him as trolling with symbolism to basically its own his own little joke of how people are reacting to the symbolic order. And he's just embodying a piece of it. And people are inserting meaning about him. And he doesn't necessarily hold some of those those ideas. And I... I find that funny and fascinating because I do that in my life. I do stuff like that in my personal life. Um, one thing I do, I, I don't know if I mentioned this on a <laughs> a bonus episode or on my feed, 
but I scatter books that I actually hate throughout my house um, to see when people come over. Cause like people, when you have books, a lot of times people will come over and they will, you know, <laughs> the look at your books. And I use it as a little test or a little opportunity for conversation. If someone picks up a book that I absolutely despise. Um, and I, it's just a fun little thing for me. It's, it's, there's no like harm in it, but it's my way of trolling. It's my way of to attract them to some sort of symbolism in my house commentate on it and then it opens up a discussion i don't know it's a dumb it's a dumb little thing that's why i think like zizek does that and i kind of just appreciate that um but what i want to kind of address today is kind of this obsession with self-help in the west um and how we are constantly looking for the next kind of easy fix for complex problems um and, and i think that'll be like a kind of segue into like a discussion of the self and you'll see in the, in the video clip i have i have this like little clip between an exchange between the two um yeah but Enough of my talking, and let's enter the labyrinth. Okay, so the first clip I'm going to play is Zizek, and he's going he's gonna to talk for a bit. I'm gonna, I'm, I want to let them in these clips talk for a bit, and then before I butt in too much. So let's, let's see how it goes. Uh, what I only uh, don't quite get why do you put so much access to this we have to begin with a personal with personal change i mean this is also the second or which one i don't remember forgive me of your slogans in your book you know first set your house in order then but i have an extremely common sense naive question here but what if in trying to set your house in order, you discover that your house in, is in disorder precisely because the way the society is messed up, which doesn't mean, okay, let's forget about my house. But you can do both at the same time, and I would even say, I will give you now the ultimate example, yourself. Isn't it that you are so... Okay, at the button right here. Uh, I watched this debate a couple times. I did when it originally came out and just going through some clips um, this time to kind of pick out stuff I wanted to do content on. Um, the crowd in this debate is fucking stupid. They are awful. They do not understand what's happening. They are looking for them to go at each other. And the debate the debate ended up just being simply a discussion, which I think we could all should have been able to expect from both Jordan Peterson and if people knew Zizek. But the crowd reacted to that where, you know, especially Jordan Peterson over the last couple of years, because this, this debate happened back in 2019. So he wasn't having, um, Jordan Peterson wasn't having a lot of his health issues and mental health issues quite yet. Um, he, I mean, he, he's always been open about that where he's had some, but, you know, he kind of had to take a break from the public eye, essentially. And this occurred after this debate. But the crowd reacted to that. But Zizek's point is not that he shouldn't be out doing this and and shouldn't be out trying to change the world. And I think that's the key thing I want people to understand. It wasn't like a got you moment that Zizek was trying to do. He was simply trying to point out a contradiction in Jordan Peterson's lines in his book um, and his his self-help book and stuff. And I find – I just find it fascinating that the crowd wasn't getting that. That Zizek isn't going to be like, ha, got you. It's more like, okay, what are you saying here? Maybe you are wrong here. So let's, let's see what else he has to say, though. So socially active, because you realize that 
It's not enough to tell to your, to your, uh, to your patients, set your house in order. Much of the reason of why they are in disorder, their house, is that. There is some crisis in our society and so on and so on. So my uh, reproach to you, benevolent, would have been, you know, the joke, tea or coffee, yes, please. Like individual or social, yes, please, because this is obvious in extreme situation. Like I hope we agree to say to somebody in, in North Korea, set your house in order. No, ha <laughs> ha. But I think in some deeper sense, it goes also for our societies. I'm just repeating what you are telling. You see some kind of a social crisis, and I don't see clearly why insist so much on this choice. Because, uh, sorry, just to finish, I will give you an example that I, I think perfectly does it. How do we usually deal with ecology? By this false personalization, you know. They tell you, ah, what did you do? Did you put all the Coke cans on the side? Did you recycle all paper and so? Yes, we should do this. But you know, like, uh, I, in a way, this is also a very easy way to discharge yourself. As, like, uh, you say, okay, I do the recycling, so up, you know. I did my duty, let's go on. So I would just say, why the choice there? Okay, so, so that's what I really liked that opening from Zizek because I think it does open up a conversation because Jordan Pe- I'm going to obviously do Jordan Peterson's response, um, but to like get a couple points across, I think that's a really good point to pose to people to and thinking about even thinking about this when you hear Peterson's response, um, but this idea of like uncovering the self and you know, this idea that, oh, like, I will know when my house is in order. I'll know when that moment comes. And and then Zizek's also, other point was, you know, the, the, the idea of recycling. Oh, like, you you take the recycling out for for the, the recycling truck to come get your recycling, and you've done your part for the environment. Oh, my house is in order now. My, I'm good to go. I've done it. I've done, I've done what I'm supposed to do. And it's just this idea that the idea of what your what it is to have your house in order is very subjective and we also need to take into account how the collective is the the collective narrative and the structures we have in place are influencing your perception of what it means to have your house in order what that actually means um and and also i just want to put this out but when you hear peterson's response is that jordan relies on this idea that individual, like if the individual self focuses on themselves, then the collective will work itself out. And I think he also really relies on, which I find kind of problematic and disagree with, is this idea that like you'll dig down deep in yourself and you'll know. You'll just know when you've solved your house. You'll know when it's figured out. And it's this, I think it's like this over-reliance on certainty as though this project of the self, this project of finding yourself and figuring out yourself is a done one. You know, it's, it's the process. And like what Zizek is trying to say is, is in the process of getting your house in order, you also maybe need to help change the world. It's not, a, it's not do one than the next. Cause that's not how the way it works. Um, and I think he made a good point of, of Jordan Peterson, you know, is your house in order, you know, and then, uh, and Jordan's it's like admitted his house is not fully in order. Right. But he's, he is definitely trying to change the world. Look how much influence he has. 
So it's just not these, like, we look for these clear, simplified answers for our examinations of the self and discovering the self. And we want to believe it's just this internal journey, but the external is influencing that internal journey. The external narratives, the external beliefs, the external myths around us are influencing what we believe to be ethical, a solved self, having our house in order. So if we never examine the influences of the external, the influences of the narratives, the influences of the myths, how can we ever fucking solve our house? How can we ever get our house in order if we don't examine that thing as well? So it's the, once you say, oh, well, yeah, you do have to examine your beliefs based on you know, how you relate to that. But are you examining how those are constantly influencing each other? It's not this separate process. It's never fully separated. And that's Zizek's point, which I find to be true. Um, but yeah, let's, let's give, let's give JP a chance as well. Cause he, JP does make, um, some good points and I do. And that's the other thing I want to say. I get what Peterson's trying to say. I just think Peterson tries, it tries to oversimplify the process too much and make, make it seem like the epitomes we will have will be quite profound and quite obvious to us. Well, so first of all, I have to point out that it's, you have unfairly tasked me with three very difficult questions. And so I'm, I'm hoping that I can... That's re- life. That's life. <laughs> if you said life is a challenge, yes, so, 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 so Look, there's, there's a very large clinical literature that suggests that if you want to develop optimal resilience, what you do is you lay out a pathway towards somewhere better. Someone comes in, they have a problem. You try to figure out what the problem is. And then you try to figure out what might constitute a solution. And so you have something approximating a map, right? And it's a, it's a tentative map of how to get from where things aren't so good to where they're better. And then you, you have the person go out in the world and confront those things that they're avoiding that are stopping them from moving towards that higher place. And there's an archetypal reality to that. It's you're in a fallen state, you're attempting to redeem yourself, and there's a process by which that has to occur. And that process involves voluntary confrontation with what you're afraid of, disgusted by, and inclined to avoid. And that works. Every psychological school agrees upon that, is that exposure therapy, the psychoanalysts expose you to the tragedies of your past, you know, and and redeem you in that manner. And the behaviorists expose you to the terrors of the present and redeem you in that manner. But there's a broad agreement across psychological schools that that works. And my sense is that we're called upon as individuals precisely to do that in our life, is that we are faced by this unbearable reality that you made reference to when you talked about the situation on the cross, is that life itself is fundamentally, and this is a pessimism that we might share, is fundamentally suffering and malevolence. But, and this is, I think, where we differ, I believe that the evidence suggests that the, the, the light that you discover in your life is proportionate to the amount of the darkness that you're willing to forthrightly confront, and that there's no necessary upper limit to that. So I think that the good that people are capable of is actually... It's a higher good than the evil that people are capable of. And believe me, I do not say that lightly. Okay, I want to say one thing about that. Because 
I agree with that. You know, I think I overall agree with what Jordan there Peterson said there. Um, you know, you have to you have to address your your dark side, and he's bringing in Jung, of course, of addressing the shadow self and examining within yourself and and finding those darker parts of yourselves and and bringing and bringing light to them and, and st- that that like kind of poetic narrative to put on that idea of of examining the internal self. Um, however, what I've come to like believe even recently. Uh, you know, I would say even the last year having kind of this epitome moment of epiphany moment of realizing the interpretation of the light and of the darkness. What is influencing that? What symbolism of the symbolic order of society that we have and that we follow, that we grew up in and based on the culture we were found in, based on the parents we have, based on the community we grew up in, you know, how is that? influencing our perception of what it is to fight darkness, what it is to fight light. Jordan wants to simplify this process as though if you dig deep enough, you will discover, you will know, you will understand. And like people throughout history, people now, they we never, we never think we're the bad guy. We never think we're the bad guy. But what is that darkness? Where is that darkness coming from? How are we interpreting what it is to have darkness within the self. What are those? What are those beliefs? And I think what Jordan is doing when he's saying, oh, like just examine yourself and it'll figure itself out. That's the point though, is you have to examine how society and those structures and the world is influencing that symbolism within the self. That is what Zizek, I, I think he, he kind of touched on it more in this debate and we'll probably go over those clips as well at another time. But that's kind of Zizek's thing as well. It's a very Lacanian type thing. It's also even some Jungian type thing of how Jung would talk about how symbols influence your idea of myths as well. Um, and I just wish Jordan would talk about that more because what he's doing is simply trying to simplify that endeavor of examining the internal self. And I think he oversimplifies it to sometimes a dangerous degree given what I know about the evil that people are capable of. And I, and I think that, I believe that the central psychological message of the biblical corpus, fundamentally, is that. That's why it, it culminates in some sense with the idea that it's necessary to adopt, it's, it, it's necessary to confront the devil and to accept your, what would you say, your, the unjustness of your tortured mortality. If you can do that, and, that, and that's a, it's a challenge, as you just pointed out, that, that's sufficient to challenge even God himself, that you have, the, you have the best chance of transcending it and living the kind of life that will set your house in order and everyone's house in order at the same time. And so I think that's even true in states like North Korea. And like, I'm not asking people to foolishly immolate themselves for pointless reasons, you know, if I'm a, when I'm working with people who are clini- clinically and they have a terrible oppressor who's their boss at work, I don't suggest that they march in and tell them exactly what they think of them and end up on the street. Mm. It's not helpful, you know. And so the pathway towards adopting individual responsibility happens to be a very individual one. But I do believe that the best bet for most people is to solve the problems that beset them in their own lives, the ethical problems that beset them, that they know are problems, and that they can set themselves together well enough so that they can then become capable of addressing larger scale problems without falling prey to some of the errors that 
characterized, let's say, over-optimistic and intellectually arrogant ideologues. I'll close well. Yeah, but very briefly. Let me close with one thing. One of my favorite quotes from Carl Jung, it's actually a quote that I used at the beginning of my first book, which was called Maps of Meaning, was that if you take a personal problem seriously enough, you will simultaneously solve a social problem. And, and this bears on, on your point, because it's not like your small family, even the relationship between you and your wife, is immune in some sense to the broader social problems around you. And so let's say right now there's tremendous tension between men and women in the West, and, and that's certainly the case given the divorce rate, let's say, that would be some evidence. Um, and the later and later ages that people are waiting to become, in, uh, to, 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 you know, enter into permanent relationships. There's a, there's a real tension there. And then if you do establish a relationship with a woman or, or a partner, but we'll say a woman in this particular case, um, you are instantly faced with all of the sociological problems in a microcosm in that relationship. And then if you work those damn problems out, if you can work them out within your relationship, then you can get some insight. It's not complete insight, but you can get some partial insight into what the problem actually is and get the diagnosis right. And you've moved some small measure forward in addressing what might constitute the broader social concern. And what's even better, you're punished for your own goddamn mistakes. And that's another thing I like about the idea of, of working locally, is that, you know, if I do broad-scale social experiments and they fail, it's like, well, tough luck for the people for whom they failed. But if I'm experimenting on myself within the confines of my own relationship and I make a mistake, I'm going to feel the pain. And, then I, and that's good, that's just, but it also gives me the possibility of learning. And so I believe that you do solve what you can about yourself first before you can set your family straight and before you should dare to try to set the world straight. Otherwise you degenerate into this kind of, you already talked about it, this shallow moralizing, this, well, I've divided my goddamn Coke cans up and now I can spend more money on new packaging at the supermarket, which is exactly what the psychological research indicates that people do if they perform a casual moral uh, action. They immediately justify committing a less moral action because they've put themselves in a higher moral place. And you might, if you were a real pessimist, you'd say, well, that's why they performed the action to begin with. I think that's often true. That's associated with that shallow moralizing. So I, I do, I agree with some of what Jordan said there too. Um, the idea of like moralizing and how we, well, one, we, we, you know, do one just actions. We think we, you know, an action that we feel is a little unjust. We kind of end up justifying that. Uh, I even feel the pull of, of myself doing that, you know? Um, it's same as like, okay, it's a similar thing as is probably less of an egregious act, but you know, you go work out and then you think, oh, I'll reward myself with ice cream or something. You know, it's that, it's that like type of thing. Um, but also like the issue I have with, with this faux fixation on personal responsibility, which I find very, it, it is a very important concept, but within personal responsibility, it needs to be the personal responsibility of the individual within a collective whole, I think. Um, because often when we, we focus purely on the personal responsibility 
and focusing purely on the individual and we separate ourselves. We, we don't, we don't embrace the inter subjectiveness between people. The, what, I, what I mean by that is the, the intersubjective relationships, the relationships we have between people and our effects on others. Uh, we, we hyperfixate on the individual responsibility. We want to close ourselves off as though we're only responsible for ourselves. But we have influence over others. So in a sense, we have responsibility of others. But you also have a responsibility of yourself. It's, 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 it's this hybrid of both. And when we separate it, you know, what we do in the West, we often separate it into the individual, find the individual self, self-actualize. So now when we see that, we end up victim-blaming people that don't have their house in order, that don't have their individual selves figured out. Oh, like, why aren't you doing that? This is what you're supposed to do. Just fucking do it. And we don't take into account the external influences on that situation. Like I said, so we live in a culture with excessive positivity, um, obsession with with self-achievement, obsession with self-actualization. What does that even mean to do all that stuff, you know? You know, we, we, we think we must always look busy here in the West. Um, yeah, so, and I also want to say, to kind of cl- do some closing thoughts, is... You know, I brought up uh, Jordan Peterson just kind of overly assuming how easy it is to solve these ethical problems in our lives. I think I think he overly fixates on that, how easy that is. You know, what if those ethical problems, like I was saying, is being influenced by the society and what someone views to be ethical based on that? You know, look at the Internet. You you see protests going on or you see uh, conspiracy theories in various communities and they all have the same talking points. They all have the same self-righteousness of, of what they're fighting for and what they're doing within the conspiracy theories. They're sharing in information. They're, inter, they're intersubjectively agreeing upon the narrative of a conspiracy. They, are, they think by doing this and embracing this and fighting it, they're going to solve an ethical problem. But does the ethical problem exist? Is the ethical problem they're trying to solve even true? Are they wasting their time? They've made a narrative. They made a belief system and they've made a, a mythical journey for themselves to solve an ethical problem that doesn't probably, it probably doesn't need to be solved, right? It's that same idea. We create those narratives about ethics in our society and the society we are in is part of that problem. So you need to address what the society is creating to be ethical, what it is to be ethical, and not just assume that the individual self will figure it out. You know, I, I'm still trying to figure it out, and I fucking read ethical philosophy for fun. I have, I don't, it's fucking tough to this idea that we can just, oh, just go in yourself and you'll know. You'll just know. What you bring into yourself, the, the knowledge you bring from the external, creates your internal world, Right? So, you know, an example I thought of is, is, you know, you imagine, imagine a Christian, but a more fundamental Christian who listens to what Jordan Peterson said, get your house in order, get your house in order and then change the world. So for the Christian, the male Christian, let's say, getting their house in order is to have a, have a house, you know, put food on the table, have a kid and a wife, right? But the Christian is also, this Christian is also very much against gay marriage, they're against homosexuality. They don't even want to really be around gay people. Okay. But let's say their son comes out when they get older and they come out as gay and they're gay. They are gay. 
The father no longer sees the house as being in order. He thinks he must now solve an ethical problem, an ethical problem that he's created in his mind that doesn't or shouldn't actually exist. But he needs to solve the ethical problem and then he's going to change the world. And then all of a sudden he thinks he like solves it and maybe puts that kid through trauma. And then you take that and what does he think solving the world's problems are? Oh, I put my house in order. I, you know, shunned my kid for being gay. So now is he going to shun the world for having gay people? You know, it's just that idea. The influence of the external symbolism, the myths, the narratives that we have influence what we believe to be ethical. And I think that's what Zizek was trying to say, or and he did say. I just wanted to expand upon it because I think it was important. Um, you know, so I, I think it's important to do both, to examine both simultaneously. The self, the self's relation to the external world and how the external world influences. It's this, it's this constant cycle process of, of understandings, evaluating those understandings and creating new ones and never really being certain of those. And I think that's important too. You know, I just, yeah. And for me personally, like me reading up on like theories and, and philosophy, psychology, spirituality, you know, examining what people have to say, right? Trying to be mindful of what's going on in the world, trying to do my part in some way, you know, maybe getting people to think about something a different way. That poll has led me to look at my personal life as well. Am I embodying the words I speak? Should I be embodying the words I speak? If I don't want to embody them, why don't I want to embody them? It's not this process where you do one first. I don't first just examine myself and then the world. I examine the world's influence on the self, myself's influence on the world, and that process is simultaneous. It's all happening at once. And I do think, you know, personal responsibility, like I said, it's important. Like I said, the victim blaming, and and yeah. So, um... I want to see if I have any other closing thoughts. I think that covers a lot. And I think, where are we at time-wise? Yeah, I think that's it. This is a good stopping point for today. But uh, I hope you kind of enjoyed some of those thoughts. Um, Yeah. I just... I guess... Maybe... Okay, I have one more note. I kind of want to cover this. You know, it's, it's this idea of getting your house in order for Jordan Peterson. It's also this idea of, like, solving your pain. Um, but we struggle to articulate our pain because we live in a society and this kind of goes into the, the external influences. We live in a society that wishes for us to distract ourselves from the origin of the pain. So when we hyperfixate on the self, it, we're doing what the symbolic order of the society wants us to do because it's not looking at how that, that influences our pain and the structures we have in place are, are playing a part in that pain. It's kind of like that kind of what I think is mostly debunked now, um, psychology myth of mental health disorder, the the idea that, oh, it's just a chemical imbalance. That's not true. You know, sometimes that plays a role, but a lot of times, you know, depression and things like that, it's not just a chemical imbalance. There's a lot of outside influence on creating that so-called imbalance. And additionally, I think, you know, Jordan Peterson falls into this idea that we do have some deeper self to be uncovered. And I kind of went over this earlier, but we could that be, that idea be a new fiction? You know, I felt my own psyche do it. The feeling of your psyche continually creating this perception of depth within the mind. It's as though the psyche creates this kind of illusionary treadmill. where We, we often remain unaware of the existence of that treadmill. We're getting deeper and deeper. We just got to run down. We just got to keep running, 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 get deeper down the rabbit hole and we'll find the self. 
So, what if your house is never in order because the order we perceive is a fiction? We create the sense of order within the chaos. And and society influences how we perceive chaos and how we perceive the order within the chaos. So my point is, life doesn't simply just fall into place after a moment. It's a constant cycle of falling into place and allowing that falling into place to crumble into a new realization, a new understanding of a self, a new understanding of society, a new understanding of how society influences you and the people around you. It's a never-ending cycle, but it's a beautiful never-ending cycle. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. But now it's time for you to get the fuck out of my life.